What national memorial was named for the attorney of a tin mining company? What funeral put what pop song on the top of the charts for 14 weeks straight? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp. A chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Of course. With some great trivia and fascinating facts. Okay. All right. All right. Marsha, what national memorial was named after the attorney for a tin mining company? Uh, I, when I think of mining and all that, I think of mountains. Uh, is it Mount Rushmore? It is Mount <laughs> Rushmore. Isn't that funny? Yeah, there are several stories as to how it happened, but his name was Charles Rushmore. He was an attorney for the Harney Peak Tin Mining Company out of New York. Okay. He came to South Dakota numerous times to check titles for properties for that mining company. Uh-huh. You know what the original name of the mountain was? I do, because this is a thing I was researching for you. Oh. <laughs> and uh, it was the Lakota Indians had a name for it. That's that, right. Yep. And it was called Six Grandfathers Mountain. Yes. That was my question for you. Oh. <laughs> I actually have the way to pronounce that. It was Dunkashe Layaya Shakpe Paha. Thank you. Hill or mountain of the six grandfathers. Oh, I was dreading having to say that out loud. Thank you. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, two stories. One, that uh, a prospector was his guide. As they neared the mountain, Rushmore turned to William Chalice and said, what's its name? And William Chalice replying, never had any, but it has now. We'll call the thing Rushmore. Another story was that Rushmore was a big game hunter because he did come out there regularly to hunt. And uh, he joked that he'd been out there so many times that he had earned the right to have the mountain named after himself. So just for the hell of it, the locals started calling the hill Mount Rushmore. Who knows? But anyway, one thing is certain. They know that he donated $5,000 to Gutsum Borglum's sculpture in 1925. So maybe that influenced oh, the whole thing. Doesn't it always, you know? <laughs> Money, okay. Yeah. Naming rights. <laughs> Only $5,000, but worth 77000 today. But that's still pretty cheap as naming rights go. Yeah, it should have been the Lakota Mountain, right? Something and the Lakota that. Sioux sued the U.S. government. Did they really? Because the government gave the Lakota Sioux all of the Black Hills exclusively uh, uh, in the Treaty of Laramie in 1868. And then in 1877, what happened? Gold was discovered, and the U.S. government took possession of all the land. So they broke the treaty. In 1920, the Lakota sued, and that didn't reach the Supreme Court until 1980, when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Indians. A little late. But the Lakota wouldn't accept the money. They only offered them $17 million. They didn't take it? They said, nope. And they're continued to this day to say, we want the Black Hills back. It's our land. So that's how the Hill of the Six Grandfathers became the Mountain of the Four Presidents. I was going to say, <laughs> good wrap-up on that. Okay, Bob, what funeral put what pop song on the top of the charts for 14 weeks straight? This is where you and I have been reading the same materials again. Uh, it was Candle in the Wind by Elton John for uh, Princess Diana, uh-huh. and he rewrote the lyrics for her. He didn't. Bernie did. Bernie Taupin, is that his oh, name? That's right. Bernie did, yeah. Yeah, and he misunderstood some kind of direction about the song that he was going to do for the funeral, and he rewrote the whole thing, and Elton said, okay, what the heck. Oh, really? And uh, what is interesting about that, Elton has never 
performed that version in concert. He said he will only perform it at the bequest of her two sons, Harry and William. He sticks to the old version, which was a tribute to who? Marilyn Monroe. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And there's a new Marilyn Monroe movie out called Blonde, isn't it? The new one? I think so. Well, that's very interesting. I didn't know that he never performed the same version afterwards. I have to watch a historical video or film to see that then. Yes. Well, Marcia, before Columbus sailed to America, what did the Catholic Church do with regard to the New World? Say it again. Before Columbus sailed to America, Mm -hmm. what did the Catholic Church do with regard to the New World? Condemned us. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, they named a bishop. The first bishop of America was chosen 400 years before Columbus sailed to the New World. Isn't that weird? Wow, they got in on the ground floor. He was Eric Knudsen, appointed by Pope Pascal II to preside over Greenland and Vinland, and Vinland was America. Just hoping that there'd be Catholics everywhere, huh? Interesting. (laughs) Trying to ensure it anyway. (laughs) Bob, you know the uh, 1930 painting classic American Gothic? It's uh, Grant Wood. It hangs in Chicago, which we've seen it many times. That's the one our son Ben ran up to and slapped his hand on. Yes, he did. And And we uh, were... Guards converged from all... Horrified guards, (laughs) yes. But my question for you is, who posed for that portrait of American Gothic? Those were his neighbors, I believe. Nope. What was his daughter, wasn't it? Nope. And one was a, a, a banker nearby. Nope. <laughs> okay, next question. Okay, I struck out I on... I do like saying no to you. Yeah, it, three very, times, uh, too. Yeah. I struck out like yeah. in baseball. Very cathartic for oh, me, Bob. My. The woman was Wood's sister, Nan, and the guy was their mutual dentist, Dr. Byron McKinney. <laughs> <laughs> he had the pitchforks there. Yeah. Oh. oh, I hope he didn't use that in his dental practice. Oh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> more sophisticated technology, I would hope. That's funny. Uh, Grant Wood out of Iowa. All right. Which of these landmarks is as wide as it is tall? I'll give you four choices okay. here, Marsha. Wide as it is tall. Okay, keep that in mind. All right. The Golden Gate Bridge. Uh-huh. The Gateway Arch of St. Louis, the Statue of Liberty, or the Pyramid of Giza? Which of those landmarks Pyramid of Giza. is as wide as it is tall? Uh-huh. Wh- which of those? Pyramid of Giza. Wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, it's it's an optical You're illusion. You're my self-esteem. <laughs> I apologize. It's the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. It's 630 feet tall and 630 feet wide. So it's a real-life optical illusion. It looks taller than it is. It's as wide as it is tall. Ah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I wish that were when I looked in the mirror that way. (laughs) As as wide as you are (laughs) tall? You don't want that. No, 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 no. Completed in 1965, it's the tallest man-made monument in the Western Hemisphere and the world's tallest arch. Wow. Okay. All right, Bob. According to fossil findings, we homo sapiens have been around 300,000 years. But how about us, Bob? You and I are spanking brand new grandparents since the last show, aren't we? (laughs) Yes. Okay, so the question is for you, how long have grandparents been around? What do you mean, how long have grandparents been around? That's the question. Homo sapiens, 300,000 years, but grandparents, not so much. Wait a minute. Grandparents have been around since time began. I mean, just the very nature of genealogy. Are you saying they weren't called grandparents then? No, I'm saying they... They didn't get old enough to be grandparents. Oh, really? No, you didn't explain that. Well, no, that's the question and answer. (laughs) Well, how was was I supposed to know? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, go go with it, Marsha okay, May. Okay, Bob. Scientific American dates grandparents to about 30,000 years. So that's a big difference, 300,000 years and 30,000 years. Wow. That's when, for exact reasons not known, but included such things as the development of tools, human beings began to live long enough to become grandparents. And that's evidenced by human remains of early modern Europeans. Skeletons have been found from that time that showed humans living up to 30 plus years, 30,000 years ago. That's all the longer they lived. The dawn of the grandparents is considered the first big milestone in human longevity. And it was the first time on a consistent basis to allow for three generations to live concurrently. Maybe it just wasn't intended to be earlier. Yeah, you, you were dead. Obviously, not too many more than four generations are allowed to be around at the yeah. same time. Well, there's, there's a lot of those now. Not us, but <laughs> that ain't going to happen. <laughs> Grandparents at an older age. Okay. All right, Marcia, what art museum has more visitors than any other in the world? Do you want some choices? Sure. The National Museum of China in Beijing, uh-huh. Tate Modern, London, mm-hmm. the Vatican Museum, the Louvre in Paris. Mm-hmm. Which one? I'll say because that's the only one I've been to of those, is the Louvre. And how many people go there a year? Oh, for God's sakes, how would I know that? Give me the number, Bob. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, 9.6 million visitors. Uh, It's also the largest art museum in the world. world. Yeah. Yeah. The Louvre was the king's palace until the French Revolution in 1789. In the middle of the revolution, it opened as a museum, and it's been that way ever since. Yeah, it's a fabulous place. Yes, it, it took is. A, we went there every day for six days. It's, it's a massive. great place to make your central focus in Paris, and you yeah. get a ticket. You can go there every day yeah. and, and go then, to other places. And do other things like eat and drink. Where's the only Louvre museum outside of Paris? There is another one. Did is you know that? a mini Louvre? It's a brand new one. Oh, I don't know anything It's about in that. your favorite place, Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> Abu Dhabi. Yeah, the Louvre Abu Dhabi. <laughs> no uh, kidding. Yeah, the Emirate of Abu Dhabi developed a partnership with the Louvre. So they opened the Louvre Abu Dhabi in 2017. It has 86,000 square feet wow. of galleries. So it's the largest museum on the Arabian Peninsula. How did I not know that? Not that I know everything, but I would have kept up on that. Okay, you'll like this. There are some strange celebrations, contests, and festivals when you look around globally, Bob. I'm going to give you a short list, and you tell me of this list, which is a legitimate celebration. Okay. Okay? Is it Frozen Dead Guy Days? What? (laughs) Biggest Feet in the County Festival? (laughs) Celebrity Lookalike Cooked Shrimp Contest? Or Worst Teeth Competition. I bet it's the Worst Teeth Competition. Yeah, that sounds right. But no, Bob, it's the Frozen Dead Guy Days. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? And it's in America. It takes place 17 miles west of Boulder, Colorado. And when you go there, you'll come across a plastic utility shed with the body of a Norwegian man kept packed in dry ice. Oh, dear. (laughs) It turns out the dead guy and his offspring were big believers in cryonics. You know what that is? You know, that's the freezing of bodies. Right, with the hopes of resuscitating them years later. We're waiting future medical advances that would allow them to thaw back to life. To wake up at another time. What could possibly go wrong with that? There, There was a particular problem with this dead body, though. The daughter and grandson, who had been the caretakers of the frozen dead guy, came upon hard times. They went back to Norway in 1993, and so the town of Nederland, seeing it as an opportunity to have some offbeat fame, 
took up the cause of keeping the late Mr. Morstow from thawing. And so they began to celebrate their local stiff with Frozen Dead Guy Days. Jeez. An annual march event. Where is this again? In Colorado, near Boulder. It's hard to believe that's legal. (laughs) Well, that sounds pretty strange. (laughs) But there is something maybe almost stranger. It's called extreme sitting, and it is a sports I'm going to give you choices. Where is extreme sitting a sport? Okay? okay. Venice Beach, California. You could imagine it there. Las Vegas, Beijing, Berlin, Germany, or Coney Island, New York? Okay, I'll oh, say Berlin. You're right. It's those wacky Germans. <laughs> yes. Using colorful and pricey plastic stools, extreme sitting called Sporthocking. Sporthocking. <laughs> in Germany, originated in Berlin around 2008. It was invented by brothers Michael and Stephen Landschutz. The purpose of the sport is to perform tricks, the amount and difficulty <laughs> of which are scored. So Sporthocking participants maneuver themselves while sitting on a special stool Spinning, juggling, kicking, sliding, or doing any number of impressive feats before banging their bums onto the stools as wow. the finale. This is something we could participate yes. in. Absolutely. Extreme sitting. Yes. I think I do that uh, every yes, day. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, Bob. You know, Victoria Waterfalls in Africa is one of the most spectacular in yes. the world. Yes. So here's a quick question How far away can you hear the roar? of Victoria Waterfalls. I think you can hear that about five miles. Yeah, actually 25. Wow. Yeah. Sandwiched between the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe in Africa, it's one of the great natural wonders of the world, literally. And it's nearly twice as tall as Niagara Falls. It plunges 300 feet down into the basin. It's so powerful, it created its own microclimate. Although the world largely knows this wonder as Victoria Falls after Queen Victoria, locals have traditionally called it the smoke that thunders. The smoke, of course, being the steam or the, the, steam, the, yes, the yeah. mist that rises. The plume, the water plume. Ah, I like the smoke that thunders. That's a better yeah, name. it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for our local Cedarburg Public Library. It goes out on their internet radio station around the world, and we're on about 20 different podcast platforms and have friends who listen to us all over the place. We're very fortunate to have that. Marcia, what silverware brand was originally the product of an American experimental religious community? What famous silverware brand once was the product of an American experimental religious community. Uh, I can't, okay, tell me. Oneida. Really? Yeah, the community of Oneida in New York oh, that State. That makes sense. They followed Humphrey Noy's utopian philosophy. They were founded in 1848, and they prospered economically by making silverware and steel traps. And they did that as a religious group until 1881, when they dropped their religious experiments and reorganized as a joint stock company. So that's how Oneida got started, as a religious community's product. Who knew? I did. (laughs) Sam Clemens, Bob, where did he get his most famous nom de plume? Mark Twain, that came from his riverboat days. Right. When they would drop the chains, I think, into the 
river to see how deep it was. They would mark and Twain. Mark Twain was, uh, how was it, or 20 feet was Mark Twain? It's actually two fathoms, 12 feet. 12 feet, okay. That depth, it was safe for a steamboat to navigate. And he, of course, was uh, rode the steamboats when he was young. But here's something I bet you didn't know. He had other non-diplumes. Ever hear of any of them? W. Epiponymus. W. Eponymus. Ardacious blab. Okay. <laughs> Blab? Yeah. B-L-A-B? Yeah. Like, like a talker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass. Oh, that was a good one. Sergeant Fathom and Josh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, you sometimes scrunch up your nose when we have to say C-E instead of A-D. That's because it's we're so used to it. When did that new term come into being? Well, that's what I wondered. Somebody C.E., the common era. 2010. Okay, that 2010 <laughs> is when you think it was. It goes back to 1708. What? It was first used in English then. It's tracked to 1615 in a book by German astronomer Johann Kepler. He came up with it, C.E., and it was first used in English in 1708. It became more widely used in the mid-1800s by Jewish religious scholars. So it's common era, C.E., it's not a wholly new term after all. It's well over 400 years old. Yeah, I'll be darned. Well, no, Just I shows you how far behind you are, Marsh. Do you ever think about <laughs> Oh, I do, Bob. I wake <laughs> up thinking that. How far am I behind today? Okay. Who is believed to have taken the only known movie footage of Mark Twain? Oh, Thomas Edison? Yes. Why did you say that? That's well, correct. it was back in that time. I've seen that uh, footage. Me too, He's 1909. white suit and yeah, everything, standing it. on his porch, that's I think. That's right. 1909, Bob. Edison visited Twain at Stormfield House, his home in Reading, Connecticut. Edison took his camera and shot what is believed to be the only known footage in existence. The short film shows the writer walking outside his home dressed in his characteristic, what? White suit. That's right. And then seated with his two daughters. Twain died at Stormfield the following year at the age of 74. I don't think they ever recorded his voice either. That would have been interesting to see what did he did. He, was he really up here? Where well, was he? We saw he? that. Who, who did that great We saw solo. Hal Holbrook. Hal, I think that's his voice. Hal Holbrook's <laughs> what, what he did. Yeah, that we were cool. very fortunate to see Hal Holbrook do one of those uh, evenings of Mark Twain. Yeah, that was awesome. He did that right here in Cedarburg. They came to the Performing yeah. Arts Center. That yeah. was great. Yeah. All right, Marcia, back to museums. Many museums have beautiful landscaped gardens and lawns. So tell me, what famous museum to this day uses goats to maintain its landscape? I know a restaurant that does. Their roof with goats on it, but... Uh, That's here in, in Wisconsin, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I'll give you a choice here. Thank you. The Philadelphia Museum of Art, uh-huh. the Art Institute of Chicago, uh-huh. the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, or the De Young Museum in San Francisco. It sounds like a San Francisco thing. And you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you say that with such pleasure. But it is on a hilltop. Okay. And it's the Getty Museum in Los okay, Angeles. Okay, we've been there. Yeah, that's where you have to take a railway to get to the top. Yeah. It brings in goats. The hills are too steep for humans and machinery, but the goats manage to work easily, and they get a nice snack. So they nibble down the vegetation to the point where it doesn't uh, catch on fire and okay. so forth. I had no idea that they used goats. Thank you for sharing your vocal expertise. Okay, Bob, what's the only state that calls jousting their sport? Well, there's a state that has jousting as a sport? As its state sport. I'm going to say Georgia for some reason. Yeah, no, totally wrong. Maryland. No kidding. The military origins of jousting go back to the 11th century, but jousting came to Maryland in colonial times. 
but it really gained steam in the farming communities after the Civil War. Okay. And it was used to kind of uh, get people to come in and watch this crazy stuff and raise money for different fundraiser. And that's what it's still used for today. No kidding. Yeah. Well, you know, they had dueling on the East Coast there. With Well, Alexander Hamilton's a great example of that. So jousting makes sense. That would be something you'd import from Europe, too. Yeah, it was amusing to watch. Like the Renaissance Fair, I imagine they have it down the road here. Jousting may be amusing, but dueling isn't amusing to watch. That's No, different. that just kills you right away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another museum question, okay? Mm-hmm. What legendary art museum has 70 cats officially living in it? Oh, my God, really? Officially living in it, and why? I'll give you choices here. Yeah, thank you. The Musée d'Orsay in Uh, Paris, uh Vatican Museum, Prado Museum in Madrid, or the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. I'll say Madrid. And you're wrong! (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I should say... Such pleasure. Try again, Marsh. Why do I always give you... Oh, good for you, and you give me... Good for you! Smack! You're wrong again! (laughs) (laughs) You're doing so well at being wrong. Okay, I'll give you the names again. Musée d'Orsay in Paris, the Vatican Museum, Prado Museum Madrid, and Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. Wrong again! (laughs) Just give me the answer. (laughs) Okay, here's the answer. It's the Hermitage Museum in Russia. Okay. It's been the home of a special group of cats since at least the 1740s. Special cats? Special cats. How special? Well, in 1745, the Russian Empire's Empress Elizabeth issued an official decree allowing a group of cats to live there to control the building's pests. Well, that makes sense. And today, 70 cats are official residents of the museum and the museum grounds. Just like, what is that, the Tower of London? The the, the old uh, birds are still there. The old birds. Ravens. Yes. <laughs> no, not the monarchy, the ravens. <laughs> <laughs> and those are actually all descended from the, the original, original ravens. ravens. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay, Bob. In 1752 England, mm-hmm. there were only 19 days in the month of September. Why? In 1752, that month had only 19 days. That is correct. You don't remember it, do you? No, I was asleep at the time, I guess. (laughs) I was just a baby. So it must have been a royal decree, 19 days, right? No, if you really thought about it, you'd know They were changing the calendar. That's right. They were trying to catch up. In the 11 days they took out, referred to here as the lost 11 days Ah. of September, that was skipped when Britain changed over from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar bring it into line with most of Europe. Europe had already all switched. It was decided that Wednesday the 2nd would be followed by Thursday the 14th of September. (laughs) (laughs) And there were like all sorts of riots and misconceptions at the time, as with anything. And many people mistakenly believed that their lives would be shortened by 11 days. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, you know, you can imagine how that would throw things off. I mean, people owe debts and payments for things due on certain dates and like, oh, well, skip your payment this month, you Uh know. That would have been uh, difficult to uh, to manage that. Yep. I suppose it's my turn now, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got something, Bob? <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. We know that there are World Heritage Sites that the United Nations has basically said, this is a place that should be preserved, you know, yeah. uh-huh. a lot of ancient civilizations and so forth. But what entire country is a UNESCO World oh, Heritage oh, Site? Oh, I should know this. Uh, the uh, whole country yeah. is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Oh, gosh. Is it in Africa? No, it is not. Okay, tell me. 
Come is on. It, I, is it a Scandinavian don't country? Don't you have a sense of competition here? <laughs> this is like, oh, give me well, the answer. Just give me well, the answer. I, I'm so sick of you going, you're wrong. <laughs> well, but is, it's so nice to do that yeah. when I have a chance. Is it in, uh, uh, you know. S- Scandinavian yeah. country? <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. Farther south. Farther south. Is it a European country? Yes, it is. All right. Well. It's the Vatican. Oh, of course. The Vatican's considered a country. It's the world's yes. smallest yes. sovereign country. It's only 17 hundredths of a square mile in size. At its center is St. Peter's Basilica, which is the largest Catholic church in the world. The reason it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site is because it supposedly contains the tomb of uh, St. Peter and, and the impressive collection of Renaissance and Baroque art and architecture, including Michelangelo's Sistine oh, yeah. Chapel. There's a lot of stuff in that little tiny Works country. by Raphael, Leonardo yeah. da Vinci. Yes, dear. Okay, you'll like this, and I bet you'll guess this. Okay. Because I give you questions that you have a fighting chance. I just give you questions we can fight over. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Name the illegitimate English gentleman scientist that never stepped foot in America, but left a lasting legacy here in his name. That's James Smithson. Good for you. At the Smithsonian Institute. Was, ex- why was it uh, named after him if well, he never set foot here? Well, Marcia? he was the original founding donor of the Smithsonian Institute in 1829. He left 500000 to the U.S. to build what has become the largest museum, education, and research complex in the world. 500000 what? Dollars. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of money in back 1829, then. In 1829, it's a piece cow. of change. He never lived here, but he's buried in a crypt in the Smithsonian. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Okay. And some historians have speculated that this gesture was a metaphor comparing his life to America, the successful bastard child of Mother England. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's a great one. Uh-huh. All right, I got one more question for you. What did the French contribute to the Bible? Uh, the French did Pierre, something. Pierre Moses. <laughs> the French did something with the Bible that no one else had ever done. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> they called it the Bible. Oh, it was never called that before. The word Bible derives from the Greek word. Biblios, or Biblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S, that was the Greek name for a Phoenician city that exported papyrus, paper. Uh Uh-huh. So it's actually named after paper. The word Biblia, B-I-B-L-I-A, was used by the Greeks and the Romans for little books. And since the Bible is a collection of little books, the French felt it was appropriate to call it that. Ah. So they called it the Bible, Bible. meaning little books. I never really thought about that bibliography, Bible. Biblia, little books, and paper. I mean, it all relates to paper. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yeah, so the Bible originally meant little books, and the French called it the Bible before anyone else, basing it on Greek words. What was it called before? Don't know, (laughs) Marsha. Well, well, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm shameful. (laughs) I'm wrong. I'm flogging myself with with whips right now. I am so wrong. You're a Von Marr painting in the works. That's right. This is Isaac Asimov. Okay. He said, life is pleasant. Death is peaceful. It's the transition that's troublesome. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorites, Isaac Asimov. What a guy that guy was. I mean, he wrote all of the science fiction novels. I've got two Bible commentaries by him and the Isaac Asimov book of facts. I mean, this guy was, he was a renaissance man. Yeah, yeah, he really was. Wrote like 300 books or something like that. 
All right. Well, it looks like that's it for today. We want to remind you, if you'd like to contribute any of your questions that I can ridicule Marsha with, you can do that by sending them to me via our website. Don't mock me, sir. <laughs> the offramp.show. Just go down to uh, contact us and leave your information. Okay. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. <laughs> Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. Happy Off-Ramp Day, Grandma. Same to you, baby. (laughs) The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.